This is District Sentinel Radio. It's the newscast of record for the left. I'm Sam Sachs. I am Sam Knight. And we're broadcasting out of Washington, D.C. Check out the website, districtsentinel.com. This is the show we do for you, our subscribers, and occasionally everybody else. We got the garbage can coming out at the end of the show. We got some file follies, which I heard might be FOIA follies. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. We'll wait and see at the end. Got some news to get to, but uh, first I want to wish my co-host a happy Father's Day. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a good one. See a, uh, happy, happy Father's Day to you as the father of internet content. <laughs> That's true. That's true. I also, since I'm now married to my my girlfriend who had the dog i'm now married to her the dog is now mine so i'm kind of a father to the dog as well officially i always thought of myself as one for the last few years now it's a legal i'm a legal guardian you're not the stepdad you're the dad who stepped up (laughs) that's right that's right i see a uh pretty fancy timepiece on your wrist there are you uh are you a watch guy now are you a watch I guy? I am now? a watch guy. That's right. Uh, my lovely wife, Martha, has made me a watch guy for Father's Day. And uh, it's pretty great. It's pretty fantastic. It's uh, nice being able to check the time without needing to pull out your phone. Hmm. I used to be a watch guy, and then my watch broke, and I've never, I kind of transitioned out of being a watch guy. And now I feel weird anytime I put a watch on. But I see you've also become a bracelet guy. Oh yes, my daughter made me this uh, bracelet at at daycare. Lots so. of lots of dads become bracelet guys. Lots of dads bracelet have guy, daughters, especially watch guy. Uh, living the life over here. People think you're much more sophisticated than you are when you have a watch, and maybe you just automatically become more sophisticated when you start wearing a watch. That's true. <laughs> I'll always uh, think of that uh, that line from Paul Rudd's character in Forgetting Sarah Marshall when he talks about moving to Hawaii and becoming a surf instructor. He's like, yeah, man, I haven't worn a watch for years. And Jason Siegel's like, oh, wow, that's really cool. And, and Paul Rudd's like, yeah, I don't need one. I got a clock on my phone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's sort so, of how I've thought about it, too. Yes. Um, I wanted to uh, uh, raise my hand and acknowledge I was wrong about something, which is the tenor of Chris Christie's campaign. Um, he has come out attacking Trump. Now, it doesn't really matter. Uh, this is a pretty <laughs> innocuous thing to get to get wrong. I mean, Christie's probably not going anywhere. Trump's probably going to win despite all his legal trouble, uh, win the primary, that is. I do have to say, though, I think that Christie could get under Trump's skin in a way that none of the other guys can. I think Trump, like, he really, really looks down on the other guys. But a, a Jersey guy, I think, can get under Trump's skin as a Queens guy. I. Let me push back on you there because I was with you in 
in how we for people who weren't listening to a prior episode i i think we described chris christie as jumping in the race to be kind of an assassin for donald trump to take out ron DeSantis, basically yes. to work on behalf of donald trump and he has come in and been more willing than the other gop candidates to attack trump so far but i'm not willing to admit we were wrong yet because he also attacked trump early on in the primary in 2016 and then just did a complete about face as soon as he jumped dropped out of the race and immediately endorsed trump becoming the first i think guy to endorse former candidate to endorse trump so i could see uh christie going through you know he probably still thinks he might have a chance to win so he'll see how it goes he'll attack trump try to bring it down but he's going to hammer Ron DeSantis and anyone who might challenge to be that second choice in case Trump goes to jail or something. But in the end, if it is Trump, Christie will will endorse him and will have been effective in eliminating people like Ron DeSantis. That's how I see it playing out, at least. Okay, fair enough. Um uh- yeah, you know, I just wanted to cover my bases in case uh, I was totally wrong about Christie. But you make a compelling argument that perhaps the, uh, the prior iteration of the Chris Christie theory still stands. Look, your job here is to present mea culpas on behalf of the podcast for when we're wrong. And my job is to come in behind you and say, but but also we weren't quite wrong. It's sort of a good cop, bad cop about being wrong here. I think we were pretty effective. We've we've gotten through the Ukraine conflict pretty well that way. And we're gonna keep keep going like that. Uh we've got a new a new candidate in the presidential election from the left. Oh uh, yeah. And it, honestly, he's pretty decent. As far as left-wing candidates might go, Cornell West announcing he's running for president. Although some uh, some early red flags, considering he he made his campaign announcement as a as a candidate of was it the People's Party? Yeah, the People's Party, which isn't a real party; it's just kind of a Twitter clean. Yeah, it's uh, a Twitter. Yeah, that's that's more. I was going to say an agitator group, but I think a Twitter click is more. Is more appropriate that doesn't even really have ballot access. And is just there to kind of stir shit up. It might be like they might be feds. So uh, might. I don't know. I don't know if they are or not. Um, (laughs) But a few days after that. He did an about face and said, okay, he's actually going to go through the nominating process in the Green Party. I don't know if that means he's going to run against Jill Stein or uh, Jill ran. Did she run in 2020? Was it Jill? No, yes, it was it was, it was Howie. It was Howie Hawkins, oh, wasn't it? it? Oh, you're right. It was Howie. You interviewed him. <laughs> That's sure I did. <laughs> <laughs> pretty forgettable dude he's a nice guy but i yeah i don't even remember the interview um i think he showed up later we had to reschedule because he had forgotten about it too so 
Anyway, I don't know if any of those guys are going to run, if it's going to be uncontested and Cornell West is just going to be the Green Party candidate, which is more viable than obviously the People's Party, but it still isn't really a viable run to win the White House. Um, no, I mean, in the last Green Party candidacy that made sense was Ralph Nader's. When he was aiming for... Um, federal funding for the party to to reach the 5% threshold of the popular vote. Um, And that didn't work. And I just think that we are in a place now as, 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 as a uh, political, as a, as a set of political tendencies known as the left uh, that we know that this third party candidacy shit is doomed and a waste of time frankly and i don't say that with any enthusiasm for uh joseph robinette biden that's just how it is and like if you want to get involved do not get involved with the third party candidacy because it is a big waste of time like get plugged into your community get plugged into the organizations with local chapters or local organizations or like literally anything else. Yeah. We we're not at the point where we have a viable third party to be using as a vehicle for any effective change. This isn't at the same time. I'm not going to be one of those people who, who scolds third party voters like incessantly. Because obviously, obviously the alternative to voting a third party is not voting. And People are well within their right to feel like no matter what they do, it's going to suck. Might not be a good analysis, but I totally get it. (laughs) I uh, do see people who are getting pretty excited about the campaign, mostly on Twitter. And here I am on Twitter all the time. What were you? A few weeks ago, we're like, blue sky, blue sky. We're skeeting up in blue sky. See us on blue sky. And. I haven't like skeeted in a month, but uh, here I am like scroll doom scrolling on Twitter, which is still terrible, getting worse and functioning even worse by the day. But there are people who are like excited about Cornell West campaign or like time to get on board with this and are criticizing other people for dismissing it. And it's just like, I don't know if, I don't know if, if I've just learned lessons of the two Bernie campaigns or if I'm just fucking old now, but I do not care. Like, I do not care about this, about this election from the perspective of it being any battleground that the left can win on. Yeah. I mean, I suppose that if you're, you know, you could do a lot worse than getting than Cornell West, who's like probably one yes. of the better people you could find to run uh, this campaign. It's just that, yeah, like you said, been there, done that. Well, should we move on? Yeah, let's uh, let's dive right in. As predicted, the debt ceiling austerity deal is already encouraging Republicans to go further, and it was only signed about two weeks ago. On Thursday, the Republican-controlled House Appropriations Committee approved spending levels 7% below the $1.59 trillion amount 
in the debt ceiling deal that was hashed out by Joe Biden and House Majority Leader, or sorry, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. Under the plan advanced Thursday, there would be further cuts to environmental protection programs, foreign aid, and of course, welfare programs. And of course, no money would be taken from the military, immigration authorities, or cops. The bill was marked up by the Appropriations Committee in a party-line vote. Lawmakers on both sides warned that the split raises the likelihood of a government shutdown in October, which is honestly what the Democratic Party deserves for negotiating in good faith over the debt ceiling instead of just minting the damn coin. Of note, the plan approved by committee Republicans would literally take food from babies, according to analysts, cuts to WIC, the Special Supplemental Nutrition Program for Women, Infants, and Children, would see the loss of benefits to some 5 million recipients, meaning babies, that's, yes, fucking babies, literal fucking babies, and other little kids and people who are either pregnant or just gave birth. A recent increase to benefits for fresh fruit and vegetables would be slashed under the plan. It's social infanticide. I really don't know what other sort of uh, uh, label you can attach to it. It's disgusting. And also uh, par for the course for all the U.S. Open watchers out there this weekend. <laughs> Wait, what? what's the U.S. Open reference? The golf tournament? Yeah, it's on this weekend. It's being played right now. Ah, right. And you were just saying par for the course. Like, that's as how far as Republicans. Go. Yeah, that's the, the, it's pretty standard than par... wanting to kill babies. Right. And because par is a golf term, you were like, well, oh, shout out to golf. <laughs> yep, that's what I did there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm just trying to follow follow the logic here. Uh, yeah, because golf is also a Republican sport, so maybe you were going there, even though you are a golf-liker. Um, yeah. Yep. <clears throat> I'll just move on to this next story. I um, might even edit that part out, in fact. The, uh, <laughs> the uh, Department of Justice has released an investigation into the Minneapolis Police Department. Finding uh, lots of constitutional violations taking place and crime doing. Specifically, the DOJ found that the MPD, quote, uses excessive force, including unjustified deadly force and unreasonable use of tasers, unlawfully discriminates against black people and Native American people in its enforcement activities, including the use of force following stops, violates the rights of people engaged in protected speech, and along with the city, discriminate against people with behavioral health disabilities when responding to calls for assistance. Talked about uh, cops using violence against minor crimes, people suspected of doing just minor things. Ultimately, the Department of Justice said that this is all a crime. Quote, the department identified and concluded that persistent deficiencies in policy, training, supervision, and accountability contribute to the unlawful conduct and that the investigation found that the systemic problems in the Minneapolis police department made what happened to George Floyd possible. Uh, this is similar to those consent decrees we saw come out of the Obama administration 
with various police departments around the country. MPD has agreed to a uh, court-enforced consent decree and independent monitor to enact reforms. But again, as, as I said when we were reporting on this stuff back in 2015 and shit, pick any city you want on a map, any city, and you'll find similar things in the police force. Yeah, I remember one of those reports we read on uh, the Baltimore police where there were two cops driving around with a DOJ monitor or investigator, whatever. And they talked about making up crimes to arrest people who are loitering, like in front of the monitor. They're like, what are we charging them with? I don't know. We'll figure it out later. And the dude's just right there, like writing this all down. It's like, you're cool, right? You're cool, right? Yeah, these, uh, this, this does not. Uh, these, these do not work. We know that. Um, good luck, Minneapolis. Wanna cyber security? That is. There was another major. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, anyway. okay. Yeah, okay. That worked out real well. I would have let so, that slide. I would have let that slide. I couldn't. I couldn't. Anyway, uh, there was another major hack this week. Uh, an <laughs> office within the Department of Homeland Security said that it was assisting several federal agencies suffering, quote, intrusions affecting their file transfer applications. The hackers involved reportedly exploited vulnerabilities in commonly used software, not unlike the recent Microsoft breach that we discussed on the show uh, several shows ago. Several multinationals were also targeted. Federal officials said that the attack is a ransomware scheme in which hackers steal data and hold it ransom, as the name suggests. And it appears to have been a big one per CBS News, quote, one cybersecurity expert characterized the breach as one of the largest theft and extortion events in recent history. Victims include Johns Hopkins University, the University of Georgia, the BBC, and British Airways. Cybersecurity experts say the hacking gang has been active since at least 2014 and is believed to operate from Russia with the tacit approval of Moscow's intelligence services. It's unclear how many government agencies have been affected thus far, but the Department of Energy already released a statement acknowledging that its systems were breached. No military or intelligence systems were impacted, according to an official at the DHS Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, though they would say that, wouldn't they? I mean, maybe not, because they they did kind of admit that uh, we got totally owned in the solar winds attack, so... I don't know. They probably they probably would be uh, forthcoming about this because if they lied about it, I think it would look bad. There's no indication yet that any federal agencies were targeted by ransomware. Also, though, uh, bad news if you have a driver's license issued by the state of Louisiana. Governor John Bell Edwards said Thursday that victims of the attack include everyone, everyone with the state-issued driver's license, ID, or car registration, that's some 4.6 million people. Compromised information includes names, addresses, and social security numbers. That sucks. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, it comes on the heels of uh, that report showing that U.S. intel agencies are spending enormous amounts of money scooping up public data uh, that they're able to create, you know, matrices of people and their identity and stuff. But uh, I guess I guess the U.S. government isn't is is obviously going to use it, could use it for whatever nefarious purposes it wants, and it's concerning. In this case, uh, your identity might be used in a scam. Yeah, I mean, what the yeah, I mean, having your social security number out on the internet is is not fun. Um, you need LifeLock. Yeah, <laughs> I, I guess Russian hackers could probably buy a whole bunch of data on us for, for, through the open market. Is I guess what you're what you're kind of alluding to there and uh they probably do i don't have anything so yeah oh you don't you don't have you don't have any apes you don't have any apes I got, to steal? I got zero apes i got zero apes i've got a ps5 but that's in my physical possession here come and take it come and take it vlad <laughs> yeah but you download the games now right you don't own the discs do you think vlad could could hack your Kerbal take Space my Program. You take my games? Don't take my games, Vlad. <laughs> All right, some uh, big news breaking here as uh, we are sitting down to record. The Teamsters have indeed authorized a strike against UPS should current negotiations not yield a contract before the current contract expires on July 31st. The Teamsters represent 330,000 UPS workers across the country. The strike would be nationwide, and it would be the largest work stoppage in decades in the U.S. The uh, Washington Post reported on the last time that the UPS workers went on strike. 185,000 of them then, back in 1997, went on strike for 15 days. The work stoppage dealt UPS a severe loss and estimated $620 million, and UPS ended up conceding to many of the Teamsters' top demands. So uh, I guess we're just going to do this again, because under Sean O'Brien, the Teamsters, if they go on strike, UPS is fucked. UPS is fucked unless they're willing to just give in to the demands. And uh, the Teamsters are already racking up some W's in negotiations, including UPS agreeing to install air conditioners in the delivery trucks, which shouldn't be considered a win. That should have already been in place because it's a fucking human rights violation, which some UPS drivers have to endure at work. But AC ACs will now be uh, installed in trucks as part of whatever new contract is ultimately agreed to. Yeah, those those trucks can get hot. Those AC units should have been in there a long time ago. God. 150 degrees. Well, best of luck to the Teamsters. This just strengthens their hand at the bargaining table. So, um, you know, hopefully they get everything they, they want or most of what they want and don't have to go on strike. But then if they do, I give them hell. Hey, it's time for File Follies. What do you got? That's right. I'm doing some catch-up work here. And yes, it is a FOIA folly 
two, in fact, mm. Mm. both related to last spring's mini financial crisis. First, I'm filing a request related to the failure of Signature Bank, inspired by the FDIC's postmortem, which we discussed previously, how it lamented that the agency, quote, could have escalated supervisory action sooner. At the heart of our request is an old character from an earlier season, Helena McWilliams, the Trump-appointed head of the FDIC when Signature grew unsustainably by taking on cryptocurrency clients. McWilliams is a huge crypto enthusiast, as you may recall, gushing about it in a December 2021 speech to the arch-conservative Federalist Society. She said she wouldn't dare crush such a daring innovation as a child of communist Yugoslavia. Well, I guess the outcome is appropriate in the context of that speech because as a result of taking on crypto, Signature Bank is now balkanized. It was one... <laughs> Boo. We're fucking killing it. We are killing it on this episode. Right, right. the struggle I'm going to have to make this one public. We're going to make this one free. Oh, great. Anyway, uh, yeah, so... Signature Bank took on a bunch of crypto, uh, failed. As you know, it was one of the largest bank failures of U.S. history. So we are asking the FDIC for records of McWilliams' emails about the firm and real-time cryptocurrency payment processing systems like Signet, the one at the heart of Signature's demise. And yes, we are asking for all, all of her emails are, you know, to search within all of her emails. She was there for uh, four years, about just under four years. And uh, we want those emails. Give them up. That's, that's a good one. I think we're going to get them. I hope we do. Request number two is about the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank and the Federal Reserve's postmortem. The report discussed the agency's exemption to the Volcker Rule concluding that it wasn't really a big deal because the Volcker rule was mostly designed to stop risky short-term speculative bets, and Silicon Valley Bank's problem was just that it was very poorly run in general. Like, it didn't grasp the implication of interest rate hikes. That's something that banks' summer interns should be able to do. However, the Fed still hasn't released the unredacted version of its exemption letter, which urged SVB to divest from VC funds that can't be sold in a pinch very easily. They're illiquid. The agency did say that the funds had no material impact on Silicon Valley Bank, which, okay, but why not let the public have a look? Especially because the report itself said there weren't many records to review in order for the Fed to understand the impact of the Volcker Rule exemption. Not to mention, as the Fed notes, the rule was supposed to stop banks from having, quote, certain relationships with investment firms like VCs. Also, another factor in the SVB collapse was so-called tying agreements when banks condition loans on the borrower using other bank services. In the case of Silicon Valley Bank, tying arrangements involve startup clients directed to the bank by venture capital firms when higher interest rates started crushing the tech industry, many of these deposits were withdrawn, putting stress on the bank, heightened by VCs themselves, withdrawing money, and 
if reporting is to believe, basically engineering a bank run or uh, at least making it more likely by freaking out online, demanding that the uh, government bail everyone out. So, yeah, I do want that unredacted Volcker rule exemption, so why not give it a shot? Even if the Fed responds to my request by flushing it down the toilet and pantsing me on Constitution Avenue. <laughs> so, those were the file follies. This week they were FOIA follies. And uh, before we move on to the garbage can, just a heads up. Next week, I am planning on uh, filing some fossil fuel-related requests, thinking specifically about Mountain Valley Pipeline-related matters. If you have any ideas about requests related to the MVP or any other dirty energy projects, slide into the DMs on Twitter, at the DC Sentinel, or slide into at Sam Knight One. Fossil fuel foyers. Boom. All right, interns. Bring out the garbage can. Oh, oh no. Oh, no. Oh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's good. Oh, okay, interns. All right the there. jokes I wrote for this week's show are in there. Oh, wow. Thank you, interns. Thank you. Garbage candidate number one, U.S. Senator J.D. Vance. Congress Segment is, over. <laughs> Congress is considering new rail safety regulations, and they're already getting watered down thanks to J.D. Vance. Lever News reported how the senator quietly got an amendment approved that delays a requirement to make rail cars carrying dangerous chemicals safer. The delay was lobbied for by chemical companies. Lever News reported, quote, Vance touted the American Chemistry Council's support for the bill without mentioning that the lobbying group had backed the change to the tank car rules. Vance, whose home state is nurturing a growing petrochemical industry, is one of the Senate's top recipients of chemical industry cash damn jd that's hella populist right there taking big chemical cash so that cars can ravage neighborhoods across the country when trains derail well yeah i mean of course he would take the big chemical cash it would be hypocritical for him to take the um coastal elitist artisanal uh hipster chemical cash now, not to get too online here, but I wanted to bring up a tweet from earlier this month by Matt Stoller. How should I de- how how do you how do we describe Matt Stoller? Like a uh, o- online poster um, author? <laughs> I mean, he he's he's clearly more than just an online poster. He's like he's like a policy guy. He's like a DC yeah. policy guy who um you know, in the pre-Bernie DSA days, like, I think people didn't really notice the full spectrum of his uh, of his takes. But also, I think they just got worse. Yeah, they got then. yeah, they got a lot worse. Anyways, he tweeted earlier this month, quote, as Senator J.D. Vance works to implement rail safety rules and address bank CEO bonuses. 
You won't find his erstwhile elite left-wing critics updating their priors. That's because a core part of elite leftism is rejecting the ability to do politics. Jesus Christ, man. Going to go ahead and nominate Stoller to the garbage can, too, if we're throwing J.D. Vance in. It's a two-for-one this week. This is... um. This is sort of like, yeah, there's so many takes on quote unquote elite leftism that require you to uh, believe people and entities at their word, which you should know better. You know, oh, the corporate DEI wokeness, you know, the, they're on the side of the left. It's it's not that it's a, a cynical marketing strategy and they're trying to hold on to uh, or, or, you know, buy loyalty from younger consumers who, yeah. you know, younger people by and large aren't racist, at least not as racist as their uh, older counterparts. Anyway. Yeah, there was a report that came out this week that showed how difficult it is for people to afford housing because wages are too low and rent is too high. You have to work like 100, 100 hours a week to be able to afford two-bedroom apartment for rent. Of course, no one's working 100 hours a week. Um, you'd have to make 28, 28 bucks an hour to work 40 hours a week uh, to be able to afford something like that, which very few people make 28 bucks an hour. But I saw J.D. Vance share the story. Just like, wow. Kind of like a sort of Chris Hayes, like, look at that, you know? When it's... And people people fall for it like, oh, man, here's a Republican who actually cares about these issues. Look at J.D. Vance highlighting this the plight of the working class here. And I just want to say, please just ask J.D. Vance. Does he think Ohio should be a right to work state? Just ask him that. And let me know what he says. Garbage candidate number two, it is U.S. Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg, who is dealing with yet another transportation crisis on his watch. Major piece of I-95 just actually in Philadelphia uh, collapsed last weekend. This is a stretch of road that 160,000 cars go through every day, so it's pretty important. Pete is is responding though. He's on it. He uh Associated Press reported that Buttigieg suggested that the US Department of Transportation is working with route selecting software firms such as Google and Waze to optimize their products. So just to be clear, uh, in case you are coming out of a fifteen year coma and have never used Google Maps. We're talking about an application that already detects yes. traffic backups and suggests alternative alternative routes. Yeah, so Pete's like, we're gonna we're gonna try try to see if they can do it even better. <laughs> I guess. That's a generous that's a generous explanation. The other is this is meaningless. This is totally meaningless, and this is Pete just putting out stuff, pretending like he's doing something. I so like I just I don't understand like if he just said something like we're monitoring the situation closely and helping every way we can 
you know, like that might be similarly hollow in terms of like, okay, yeah, anyone can said that anyone can say that. Um, and yet that would not attract ire. That would just be like people like, what could you say to that? It's like, okay, sure. Yeah, sure. You are. It's like, well, prove it. But he's just like telling you to Google it. Like this is like responding if the FCC responded to a major internet outage by saying, "Have you tried it turning off your modem and then turning it on again?" <laughs> well, I, is is he is he calling Waze and saying, "Hey, you, you guys aware that there's been a collapse?" And Waze is like, "Yeah, our, our stuff automatically redirects people." And he's like, "Okay, is there a way we can optimize that?" I don't know. I this might be more uh, FOIA fodder. I uh, can't believe I didn't file anything on this this week, but I'm already waiting for DOT to give me a lot of stuff on Pete. So I think I just need to add some stuff to the list here. Yeah. Garbage can number three. It's Miami Mayor Francis Suarez who has jumped into the Republican presidential primary. Uh, I didn't see that coming. Uh, but he, he jumped in the same week that Trump is getting indicted in Miami. Interesting. Um, I don't see his campaign going anywhere. Uh, who are his donors? Is he going to finance it with Miami coin? Because if so, he's got a stretch of about... Actually, he's already he's lost it. It's in the negatives already, <laughs> what he can do. Your Miami coin didn't go very far. You're now in serious debt, Mayor. Yeah, and... As I understand it, he's being investigated for um, receiving payments from a developer, payments to be a consultant, quote unquote, uh, from a developer who had business before the city. And on top of that, if I'm not mistaken, the SEC was looking into uh, various Miami coin related uh, items it seems less like he's running for president and more like he's running from something else. Yeah. Yeah. He's going to be the Marco Rubio of the race. And I don't mean that in a racist way. I mean that in two right-wing politicians from Miami who probably have a second family. (laughs) (laughs) Garbage can number four, it is uh, Xi Jinping. Wait, what? 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 The Chinese president met with Bill Gates this week, and he referred to the Microsoft billionaire as a, quote, old friend. Dude, you're the chairman of the Chinese Communist Party. What are you doing? You do not refer to Bill Gates as an old friend. Also, Xi, are you familiar with Jeffrey Epstein? Read up on Jeffrey Epstein and Bill. Google Jeffrey Epstein and Bill Gates. Yeah. Uh, do better, Chairman G. I, you know, I thought when you, when you started this segment, I thought we were going for like, you were going for like a district state department radio uh, vibe. But, you know, this, this angle no, this is, is very, this is damning stuff. Oh, this is what outrages you about you? Not the, not the camps. The camps isn't what, aren't what outrages you. It's like, no, man, you can't you can't refer to Bill Gates as an old friend when you're the uh, 
chairman of the Chinese Communist Party. Come on. All right, garbage can number five. It is Harry and Meghan, the Duke and Duchess of Sussex. Are they uh, still? Get their ass. I guess they still are that, right? I don't actually know. What is what is Harry's last name? Does he have a last name? Is it Windsor? Is it... Um, I thought it might be Windsor, but... Is it Von maybe he's just the Maybe he's just the... the Duke of Sussex or Prince Harry. No. I don't know. Who cares? Harry Eben Charles. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, they... uh, That's a good... Wait, no. This is a good question. This is actually grinding my gears. Does he... We'll look okay, into it. ah, here's his name. His, his name is Henry Charles Albert David. So I it's believe. not Windsor. It's from the Even House of Windsor. He's from the House of Windsor. But he has no Windsor in his name? They're fucking weird over there, dude. They, they, they got like... I don't know. I don't okay. Know uh, Let me just go I, on to yeah. this. You can look into it more and report after this nomination here. No, I'm not going to because it's very complicated. And... Uh, Charles's name. I don't know what the. You shouldn't have asked the question. <laughs> okay, you asked this question. Well, even if anyway. I would have tried to research it beforehand, I wouldn't have gotten an answer. So I'm putting it out there for someone to maybe DM us an explanation. All right. Anyways, Harry and Meghan. They had this multi-year podcast deal with Spotify that just ended. It was a three-year deal. Started in 2020. They were paid 20 million dollars to produce podcasts for Spotify. They put out 12 episodes over three years. They put out one episode every three months. They were paid $20 million. Plus, the podcast sounded awful. Like, it'd be one thing if this was a deeply reported investigation, like trying to solve some corruption scandal or murder or something. In which case, 12 episodes, thats you can understand that. But that's not what this was. It was Megan's podcast called Archetypes, which, according to Spotify, investigated, dissected, and subverted the labels that try to hold women back. Which, okay, I appreciate what you're trying to do, but that sounds really dull. Okay, (laughs) I don't know who's going to listen. Guests included Mariah Carey and Serena Williams. I'd maybe listen to what Mariah Carey has to say for five minutes before I turn it off. I would listen to interviews with either Mariah Carey or Serena Williams, uh, not conducted by Harry or Meghan, though. <laughs> I do sort of want to respect it here because like 20 million for not doing much work. Well done. Well done. But when you're in the podcast game, you got to you got to do the hustle. You got to do the weekly churn of content to honor the podcast game and clearly their heart was never in it. Yeah. uh, While I respect that they are stealing money from the Spotify corporation, uh, (laughs) that should be money that we are stealing (laughs) from the Spotify. We who do this shit every week, right? Yes. I mean, we do. We we would actually, to be clear, we would not steal (laughs) per se. (laughs) We would just pump out the content and it probably wouldn't be worth $20 million, but you know, yeah, that's not our fault. 
Yeah. I mean, look, we take some weeks off as we should. We should be able to like go on vacation from the podcast for a couple weeks a year, which we do. But as our own bosses here, this is our own operation. It'd be very easy to be like, "Eh, I don't feel like doing the podcast this week or I got something else going on this week. And sometimes I don't feel like doing the podcast one week because I do have a lot of stuff going on. But and you've got a kid and I'm sure you've got stuff that's going on and family stuff that. But you know what? We gather here every Friday and record the dang podcast because we have an obligation as podcasters to do that. Yeah, it is. That's true that they are um, degrading the. um, Yes. The our noble profession. Yes. All right. Finally, garbage candidate number six, Daniel Nassau. Nassau. I don't know. This one's a bit personal, though, because Dan is an editor at the Wall Street Journal, and he had a go at me this week on Twitter. I suppose I might have had a go at him, but not. I didn't. I didn't know who he was. Uh, I made some criticism of a story that was published in the Wall Street Journal, and my guess is Dan must have edited that story, which is why he got so mad. The article uh, relied on unnamed intelligence sources who claim that the U.S. asked Ukraine not to bomb the Nord Stream pipelines. You know, we're like, got intelligence that Ukraine was about to bomb the pipelines, that the U.S. went and talked to Ukraine, their count- intelligence counterparts, and were like, don't do it. Don't bomb Nord Stream. The U.S. then went to Germany and warned Germany and other Baltic states that Ukraine might bomb Nord Stream. And then I guess Ukraine, according to this Wall Street Journal article, went rogue and bombed Nord Stream anyways. And for some reason, all the governments in Europe and the U.S. blamed Russia, even though they had the intelligence that Ukraine was going to was going to bomb it. So that's the story that's so far being spun out of the intelligence community, which sounds like bullshit, sounds weird. I mean, if any of it's true, then it would mean that everybody was involved in it and everyone knew it was going to happen. I don't see Ukraine being warned not to do it and then doing it while they're trying to get tanks from Germany and shit. This is a critical piece of energy infrastructure for Germany we're talking about that was bombed. So yeah, I was questioning the World Wall Street Journal article on Means Morning News. Dan shared the clip and wrote, Bro, your criticism of our story amounts to empty sarcasm and an awkward reading of our acknowledgement that we couldn't get all the facts. Reporting is hard, much harder than sitting in an empty room and snarking into a camera. All right, fair enough. I am in an empty room and I am snarking into a camera. And I might actually be owned by someone saying that if that someone wasn't an editor signing off on an article based on CIA bullshit, I at least have to make graphics and I have to edit the show and do stuff like that. He's just paid to be a credulous dipshit. So that's why Daniel is nominated this week. Yeah, uh, well, we couldn't get all the facts and reporting is hard. Uh so in the meantime, we'll just serve you this this half-reported bullshit. Um, that was the thing about it is is that there was a key part missing. Is uh, the article claimed that the U.S. warned Ukrainians not to bomb Nord Stream, but as far as how the Ukrainians responded to that, the article says sources couldn't determine how Ukraine responded to the to the warning. Hmm. 
Hmm. Maybe that's because there wasn't a fucking warning. How about that? All right. Who's going in the garbage can this week? Hmm. Hmm. A lot of people, a lot of potential. Uh... All right. Well, well, okay. Daniel, that's too, that's too minor. That's too online shit. We'll spare him. We're not going to, uh, uh, I'm, I'm kind of leaning toward either JD Vance or Francis Suarez. Uh, let's fuck. Let's do JD Vance. It's a two for one this week. JD, JD Vance, Vance and, and Matt Stoller. Stoller. You are going in the garbage can. Oh, two in there at one. Cram in there together, guys. Get them in there. That's the show. Thanks for listening. Thanks for your support. We'll be back next week. We're not going to take it off like Harry and Meghan. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode. We're here in D.C., so you don't have to be.